0: Okay. Blog Talk Radio.
1: people's business,
2: you've got to deliver. In a lot of ways, this is a new TWA.
3: On time, reliable, and great service. We have a new commitment.
4: It's not a question of can we do it. We are doing
5: it. We've been posting better performance every month.
4: Absolutely a new TWA. There's a new spirit. There's a new enthusiasm. We're really
5: hustling out there. On time performance is
3: everybody's job. That is very true. It's going to be an on time airline if I have anything to do about it. 30
4: brand new jets.
1: 30 brand new state of the art aircraft. Fantastic paint jobs. They're
2: beautiful airplanes. Uh, it's becoming a younger fleet with a lot of very uh, experienced
1: people.
6: There are a lot of people here to learn from. I
1: couldn't ask for any better people to work with than the employees of TWA.
3: We're going to take good care of you. This is our airline. We want it to be your airline.
2: And we got more good news coming.
3: Good ideas. Smart ideas.
2: We know that we got to earn our customers every day, and we try to do that on every flight.
4: TWA, Trans
1: World Airlines. We want to be your airline.
7: show and the Eastern Airlines radio show uh, are on the air live with another episode of airline talk news and history we call it simply the airline radio hour and the music you heard was from TWA a theme song back in the pleasant 80s early 80s and uh, we'll bring you a different airline theme song since we representing now many airlines come aboard our broadcast, regular broadcast, so we call it the radio airline radio hour, and they're bringing you stories from here and there. Hello, my name is Neil Holland, I'm a retired captain with Eastern Airlines and producer of the show, been producing it now for over 12 years, and if you're listening in on the show's website, which is simply blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie, that's abbreviated C-A-P-T. E-D-D-I-E, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. And you'd like to call in and talk with our guest, our host, or just to add your memories, then why not call us at this number, 213-816-1611. Again, that's (laughs) 213-816-1611. And as the producer, I'll see your number on my caller's board and ask if you'd like to join the host and share those memories with us from the airline that you were, were with or with now, uh, active or retired. You know, we're a satellite-based radio station, and, and we're heard around the world. As a matter of fact, we have listeners in over 50 countries now. And our broadcasting antenna is over 22,000 miles above the Earth. Uh, let me repeat that number again so you can add your comments to our listening audience. If you call in, I'll see your number on my board. It's 213-816-1611. Why not call us now? As we normally do during our broadcast, when we had dead air time, I slipped in on a record. And here's one that, well, I'm not going to play that record. We've got so many guests with us today. I'm just going to turn it in over to uh, Brenda, Brenda Chabot, who is one of our regular hosts. And she lives all the way up in the Toronto, Canada area, north of Toronto, I think, if I best remember, about 60 miles north. Right, Brenda? Yep, that's right. Wow. (laughs) (laughs)
5: Yeah, I'm up there
7: (laughs) Okay, you're up there How's things up in Toronto, Canada?
5: Good, it's a beautiful blue sky It's crisp, it's cold um, But it's really nice, yeah
7: Very very good Well, before I let you do some announcements That I hope by now you've got uh, from your email Yes I'm going to introduce some of the other folks That are with us right now, Brenda Sure And uh, let's see the first up on my board, right at the very top, is George Jen. And, George, how are you, where are you, and how is it in your backyard?
0: Hi, Neil. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm still living on Long Island. And uh, a little chilly today. We had a little bit of snow, and it's pretty breezy. Uh, other than that, uh, I heard you mention that you had scripted this show. I, I didn't receive that. I don't know if I need it or not, but I just thought I would mention that.
7: No, I've got two guests. Uh, You are one of them, and Stacey uh, Greer is the other, and you're our show. But uh, we pretty much want to uh, talk to you, and uh, I forgot to send out the scripts. I just sent them out. I'll send it to you. Uh, When Brenda uh, starts telling us about some announcements, I'll quickly send it over to you, George. But uh, it's not called for. That uh, you do any reading, I want uh, to hear from both you and Stacy during the hour. So, uh, but I'll get it to you. Let's see. Next on my board, next on my board, is area code two five one, and that be Stacy Greer. Hello, Stacy, out in Texas.
6: Hello. Hello,
7: Stacy.
6: Uh, Hi. How's the weather?
7: How's the weather in in, in in your neck of the woods?
6: Uh, I would say in the 60s and sunny. It's beautiful today.
7: Oh, good. And here you are listening to us on the radio and being with us on the radio. <laughs> uh, a lot of folks going to be watching television. I know the Jaguars are playing today, so I don't know how many folks in my area of Jacksonville. Uh, but at any rate, good to have you. We'll be talking with you in just a few minutes more. Then. I've got area code 770. We haven't heard from Jim Holder, Captain Jim Holder in a long time, retired eastern captain and uh, living in Georgia, Atlanta, uh, next door to Atlanta, I guess you'd say. Yeah, Jim, how are things in your backyard?
2: Oh, that pretty good. We had bad weather here yesterday. You may have seen on the news uh, tornadoes hit Griffin, Georgia, and a few other places, but all we had was very, very, extremely high winds. Uh, which have now petered off, and it's nice uh, around thirty-five degrees. So I plan to have a fire in the fireplace after the radio show.
7: Okay, and a real fire. Mark. Very good. A real and, fire. And a, and a little bit of Maker's Mark. Okay. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs>
7: All right. After Jim, thanks for showing up today and being on the show, and and want you back uh, as many as often as you can. Now that hunting season, I guess, is about over.
2: It's over. It's over. We okay. got one day.
7: Uh, good, good for you Okay, let's see, Eric code 512 That would be Captain Jim Harris, right?
1: Yeah, correct though Yep, he's here It's another wonderful day here in the, in Dripping Springs, Texas I got a pleasant uh, 58 degrees A clear blue sky There's no wind And it's, um. it got down around uh, Oh, it's about 40 last night This went up to about 70 today So it's another wonderful day
7: Okay, very good, all right, and uh, I know where this next one is calling from. She's right here, close to uh saint Augustine Margaret bars. Hello, Margaret,
8: Hey, Neil. Hey, everyone. I know it just seems like yesterday I saw you, so you uh did. anyway, you did. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, and I guess we should just give a little plug for our other show w w g v r dot com So uh, anyway, we were working on that, but yes, I am here in St. Augustine, where it is a cool 47 degrees, and it's forecast to be 37 degrees tonight. Now, that's a little too cold for me, since I'm usually in Pensacola, (laughs) But, but it's a great day, very sunshiny, and it's good to be back on the show. I've had to miss a couple episodes, so... Good I'm to have you back. It.
7: Okay. Now, I think everybody's got their script. And let's uh, see, Brenda, I talked to you, 519 up in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. It Must be very cold up there.
5: Well, it's minus 7 Celsius. But <laughs> I'm old cool, and I can please. never... <laughs> Someone figure it out. I can't. <laughs> I need my computer, and then I'll can. lose my script. <laughs> <laughs> It's nippy.
7: It's nippy, okay. Well, that's where all this harsh cold weather comes from. It's your neck of the woods you send it down to us every once in a while to, to remind us.
5: Yes, you're being blessed by the great white north. Yeah, there you go.
7: Well, Uh, unless we have some callers coming in, uh, and we probably will during the show. Let's start off. uh, Brenda, uh, uh, did you get those announcements? And and if you would uh, please read those. We're very uh, sad about the first one. Go ahead, Brenda.
5: Absolutely, yeah. So uh, Barbara Bukeda, one of our wonderful silver liners, put out this statement. It is with extreme sadness that I'm relaying to you that we lost another wonderful silver liner last week. Betty Riddle Smith. Betty and her family were longtime residents of the Atlanta area, and she was also a longtime devoted Silverliner and member of the Atlanta chapter. Everyone who knew her will agree she was the epitome of a Southern belle, always so yeah. gracious, kind, and loving. She'll be missed by so many. Silverliner hugs, Barbara Bukeda. A little bit about Betty. She was a native of Greenville, South Carolina and she uh, resided in Atlanta most of her her life. Betty was born in 1933 to Lewis and Nettie Ruth Holland Riddle. After graduating St. Albans High School in Piedmont, South Carolina, Betty's adventurous spirits led her to join Eastern Airlines as a flight attendant. She received her wings after attending a five-week school in Miami Springs, Florida, in July of 1955. She received many letters of appreciation for her service, kindness, graciousness, and love of her job. During her tenure with the airline, she once walked in the New York City Easter Parade, proudly representing Atlanta in, um, in introducing the stunning new uniforms to be worn by the flight attendants and ticket agents. She was a member of Silverliners International, which was very dear to her. She always enjoyed attending the conventions where she looked forward to seeing old friends and making new friends. Her lifelong joys were spending time with her family, traveling, painting, art classes, playing bridge, and playing golf. She was a member of the Summer Beach Golf Club in Amelia Island, Florida, and the Burling Game Golf Club in Sapphire, North Carolina, both of which she and her husband Buddy were seasonal residents. Betty was a faithful servant to her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, instilling in her children the strong faith that she lived by. She was a member of the Mount Perrin Church in Atlanta for many years. Her husband of 51 years, Talbert, known as Buddy Smith Jr., predeceased her in 2010, April 19th. She survived by her children, Spencer, his wife Corrine, Smith of Knoxville, Tennessee, Stacy, I think that would be husband Terry Martin of Georgia, Sharon, husband Dr. Jeff Albert of Canton, Georgia, and then she lists her grandchildren. Um, well, and well uh, she'll be Brenda, uh, yes? I want to
7: cut in here just a minute, uh, Jim Holder. Uh, you, you and I both know Betty very well, and uh, it, uh, it's real sad that. We have learned about her passing because she, she was very supportive of the Retired Eastern Pilots Association, REPA, uh, and at the uh, conventions, I remember sitting out in the lobby and just chatting away with Betty. Uh, she and her husband, Buddy, both uh, invited Peggy and I up to their home uh, over in Amelia Island, a beautiful home there on a the golf course, and uh, she was just a wonderful person, really wonderful,
8: and I'm um, uh-huh.
7: uh, so sorry to hear about that. Jim, do you re- you remember uh, Betty and Buddy?
2: Yes, I certainly do. I don't think I knew them as well as you did, though, but uh, they were wonderful folks.
7: Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, I'll put that in. Uh, uh, Brenda, I think you have one more.
5: Uh. Yeah. So now here's a post from the Dallas-Fort Worth Silver Niners, Chase Stevens, who's actually uh, – we have um, – three uh, what, uh chapters sorry I couldn't think we have three chapters that are helping with this so that Dallas Fort Worth is hosting our next what we call our mini convention it's actually a board meeting but it's three nights uh four days so dear silver Liners, we want to clear up any confusion about the cost of the embassy suites hotel rooms it is 139 per night per room no matter how many people are sharing the room They're nice suites, and you can get two queen beds and a sofa bed. Everybody shares the $139 cost. You may also conveniently put your registration and your hotel on a credit card via the new website, www.SilverLinersConferences.org. We're looking forward to a fun time in DFW. We have lots of interesting events for all paid members, as well as kicking up your cowgirl heels plus a workshop to learn more about sharing ideas on fundraising information, taxes, et cetera, for your chapters. If Silverliners listening or uh get your dancing boots on and a plan to, uh, Ah, I can't talk today. And plan on attending. This is your spring break. Again, that's from Chase Stevens. So now we go well, to the heart of the radio show. Or you wanna you go in there, Needles?
7: No, go right ahead,
5: Brenda. Okay. And we're going to be talking about Eastern Airlines Flight 980. 38 years and 14 days ago, Eastern Airlines Flight 980 was on a scheduled international flight from Asuncion, Paraguay, to Miami, Florida. On January 1st, 1985... Oh, yeah, so it's not quite today. On January 1st, 1985, while descending towards La Paz, Bolivia, For a scheduled stopover, the Boeing 727 jetliner struck Mount Ilamani at an altitude of 19,600 feet, killing all 29 people on board. The wreckage was scattered over a large area of a glacier covered with snow. Over the decades, several search expeditions were only able to recover a small amount of debris, and searches for the flight recorders were unsuccessful. The accident remains the highest-altitude-controlled flight into terrain in commercial aviation history. And Jim's going to carry on for me there. Yeah. Jim Harris?
1: Yeah. I'm here. Sorry. Flight 980 had departed President Strassner International Airport in Ascension, Paraguay at 1757 on January 1, 1985, with a pasture contingent of 19. and a crew of 10. The patches were from Paraguay, South Korea, United States. Among them was the wife of the then U.S. Ambassador Paraguay, Arthur H. Davis, and two Eastern pilots flying as passengers. At 1937, the pilot of Flight 980 told local air traffic and controllers at El Alto International Airport in the Paz, Bolivia, that he estimated landing at 1947. The crew was cleared to descend to twenty five from twenty five thousand feet to eighteen thousand feet. At some point after this exchange, the aircraft veered significantly off course for unknown reasons, possibly to avoid weather. The accident occurred twenty five miles from runway nine right at El Alto Airport. Jim Holder. In October. Okay, thank you, Jim. In October
2: nineteen eighty five, the United States National Transport Safety Board, they wanted the to send T S B, selected Mr. Greg Filth, I T H, an air safety investigator, to lead a team of US and investigators and Bolivian mountain guides to conduct an on site examination of the wreckage of Flight nine eighty, which had come to rest around twenty thousand nine hundred and uh, twenty thousand ninety eight feet. Fyfe conducted the on-site investigation with the goal of finding the flight recorder, FDR, and the cockpit voice recorder, the CBR, as well as retrieving other critical information. However, because the record was spread over such a vast area and covered by 20 to 30 feet of snow, his fellow team members and he were unable to locate either of the black boxes. He did retrieve various small parts of the aircraft cockpit, official flight-related paperwork, and some other items from the passenger cabin. Margaret?
8: Thank you, Jim. Over the years, the debris moved along with the glacier and eventually emerged enough that climbers were able to uncover wreckage in 2006. No bodies were found, The various personal effects of the passengers were recovered. Local climbers believed it was only a matter of time before bodies, the flight data recorder, and the cockpit voice recorder emerged from the ice. And on June 4, 2016, after one of the warmest years on record in the area, human remains and a piece of wreckage labeled CKPTZORCDR were recovered by a team of five in the Andes Mountains. Then Frutell and Isaac Stoner of Operation Fanapa recovered six large orange metal segments and several damaged pieces of magnetic tape. And on June, uh, excuse me, January 4th, 2017, Jutrell and Stoner, who had inspired or had been inspired to undertake the search by reading about Flight 980 in the Wikipedia article uh, called List of Unrecovered Flight Recorders, met with the NTSB investigator, Bill English, to officially hand off the recovered components following the approval in December 2016 of the Bolivian General Directorate of Civil Aviation for the NTSB to proceed with the analysis attempt. Neil?
7: On February 7, 2017, the NTSB released a statement that what had been found was the cockpit voice recorder rack and the flight data recorder pressurized container assembly both of which are exterior pieces of the flight recorders that surround the data recording mechanisms in either devices but do not hold data themselves the promising spool turned out to be a three quarter inch umatic videotape that when reviewed was found to contain an 18 minute recording of the 1966 Trial by Treehouse episode of the television series, I Spy, dubbed in Spanish. What happened to Eastern Airlines Flight 980? On New Year's Day in 1985, Eastern Airlines Flight 980 was carrying 29 passengers and a heck of a lot of contraband contraband when it crashed into the side of a 21,112 foot mountain in Bolivia. For decades conspiracy theories abound as the wreckage remained inaccessible. The bodies unrecovered, the black box missing. Then two friends from Boston organized an expedition that would blow the case wide open. By the time it crashed, Eastern Airlines flight 980 would have been just about ready to land. Beverage carts stowed, seat backs upright, freight tables locked. The 29 people on board would have just heard the engines change pitch and, and, and felt the nose dip slightly, seat belts tugging at their stomachs. Brenda?
5: Thank you, Neil. In an article written by Claire Bates of BBC World, World Service, she writes about the two young men who made their own expedition to the crash site, Dan Futrell and Isaac Stoner. In that article, Stoner tells, we had people reaching out from Paraguay. We had family members reaching out from the U.S., right down to an old girlfriend of the pilot, calling me on the phone, says Stoner. And most of them just really did want to say, nice job, guys, thank you. One of the family members was Stacey Greer, the daughter of Mark Bird, the flight engineer on Eastern Airlines Flight 980. Greer was only two years old when her father was killed. I was surprised that someone would be interested in finding out what happened. It gave me hope that people still care, Greer said. She, has asked for, she had asked Foutrell and Stoner to bring back some metal from the plane for her law. It was a really touching meeting, said Futrell. She got to put her hands on a piece of the plane, the last plane that her father flew and that took his life. She took this medal home and she turned one of the pieces of the medal into a necklace, just in memory of her dad and his loss. Usually there's a gravesite or a memorial for one, a lost one, but my family never had that. Now we have something, Greer said.
7: Neil? Yes, thank you, Brenda, and welcome, Stacy Greer. Stacy, hello, hello, and thanks for being with us today. And I'm just gonna ask you a couple of questions about you, Stacey. Uh, first of all uh you know it's thirty eight years ago uh but uh, you were two years old now we know your age but uh I was almost
6: three you're almost three, all right, we still <laughs> know your age, Stacy, <laughs> yeah,.
7: <laughs> But uh, tell us a little bit about Stacy. You, you have a family and uh, you're, you're, you, do you have children uh, and where do you live? And t- just tell us a little bit about you, Stacy.
6: Uh, so we live in um, Victoria, Texas. I've been married 19 years now. Um, we're both, we were both, we met in the Army. Uh, my husband's a teacher, an um, elementary. Uh, teacher. I'm a school, I'm the, actually the district nurse for a small school district out here. And we have six kids and one on the way. Wow. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. <laughs>
7: Eight, eight's yep. enough. All right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, and uh, you're not too far from our host, a regular host, uh, uh, Jim Harris, Captain Jim Harris, who is a Eastern captain and uh uh and he lives in dripping springs as he's already mentioned before but uh at any rate uh want to talk a little bit about uh between uh you know the, that that uh, tragic uh crash and and now just what's happened to you and I think uh I've been told by George Jen, who's next up to bat. I'm going to ask George about what's uh, what he knows about the update but um uh, um you did 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 you make a expedition trip up there too stacy
6: yes i did yeah okay wow.
7: now you you of course you only went to a certain level i guess or uh were you by yourself or do did you have a party with you that uh, uh helped you with the uh expedition
6: yeah no i i definitely <laughs> Definitely could not have done that alone. Um I was with okay. a, a really good group of people. Um we okay. made it I think it was about nineteen thousand five hundred is, is as far as we went up. Um
1: yeah.
6: there's uh a, a little like base camp, kind of like an old I think it's like an old mining area there. where we, we stopped. Um and then we walked uh the rest of the way to the to the debris field.
7: Okay, and you know, uh, as far as the passengers and crew members that uh, lost their lives on that mountain, uh, I should say, I will say rather, that looking at Mount Illimani, I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. George will correct me if I don't, (laughs) but that mountain is a beautiful, beautiful mountain and uh, snow-covered and... uh, the the views that I have seen on the Internet uh, with La Paz in the foreground and the mountain in the background, it's a beautiful mountain. I didn't know that the mountains in that area were that high. Golly, Pete's uh, Mount Everest is 29,000 some odd feet, and this one is nearly 21,000 feet uh, up in the air. So, um, it, yeah, it must have been quite a climb up there and uh, and, uh what I've read on the internet about uh, Dan and and his partner going up Futrell and and Isaac going up there—they had to work out to 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 get to those heights, and I'm sure you probably did too, Stacy. <laughs> yeah,
6: yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. That's for sure.
7: Yeah. Well, uh, also with us today is George Jen. And George, I don't think you've ever made the trip up Mount Ilimani, but. You certainly have written about it, a beautiful um, uh, beautiful book that you uh, wrote to, about uh, Eastern Airlines. And part of that book, uh, part that I really liked the best, was what you have described and uh, how you uh, researched uh, and, uh, and know all the parties just about, I guess, from Rafe Valdez. Uh, you can tell us about that if you don't mind, about what you uh, uh researched out and what you found and bring us up to date if you have some new information this is george jen and also a host on this show
0: george yeah neil thank you um yes the uh it, there were a lot of a lot of interesting mysteries surrounding that crash which uh many of which i've subsequently discovered uh, even additional ones and um it it, it probably remains as the most uh, mysterious accident of the uh, aircraft accident of the 20th century. In that, uh, I think uh, Jim mentioned that the NTSB expedition that was led by Gregory Fife uh, went up the mountain in October, which was 10 months after the crash. So obviously, the first question is, why, why was there a 10- month lag? when January 1st, which was the date of the crash, is the summer in South America. Then, of course, uh, Ray Valdez, uh, by the way, I don't don't know if you're aware of it or not, but Ray passed away a few months ago. And um, he was the first one to send an expedition up there, and they made it up the mountain up to the crash site with no problem. And, you know, they trekked around, and and Ray made a... uh, had them make a movie out of what they had found up there. And then, of course, there was uh, Judith Kelly, who uh, several months later, she went up to the crash site alone with a guide, and uh, she made it up there with no problem and left uh, a cross and and a few other artifacts up there in remembrance of her husband, Bill, who was the head of the Peace peace, peace Corps in, uh, in Paraguay. And um, so when Dan and Isaac decided to go, uh, I found it to be very interesting in that, you know, there were a number of crashes that were the uh, FDR and the CVR were never recovered, but they chose that crash. And unfortunately, although they found the casing uh, for both the uh, F, well, no, I don't know about the FDR, but they found the casing for the uh, cockpit voice recorder. And also a tape, which you pointed out was a movie. Um, it it I just found the entire thing very very interesting, and the fact that now there, are, you know there it's been confirmed that there were there were bodies that were at the crash site, uh, and they, they and there were veterans, and there was in fact one active duty serviceman on the aircraft, and none of the bodies have ever been returned for a proper burial. Uh, someone before had mentioned uh, the, the, the captain, Larry Campbell. Uh, there was a, uh, a plaque that was placed uh, down in Florida by two of his friends for him, but his body was never no no one's body was ever returned. So the, the mysteries, although you know, the, there's been some speculation as to the cause of the crash. There's never been an official finding by the National Transportation Safety Board as to the probable cause of the crash. Uh, you know, the the, uh, the Bolivians uh, dubbed it a controlled flight into terrain, which it may have been, uh, may you know, it may have been, but that was based solely upon speculation. So uh, hopefully as a result of uh, Dan and Isaac's trek, uh, we'll get some action as far as at the least Uh, recovering the bodies up there
7: is is there anything uh, going on now as far as investigating that you know of George
0: no not that I'm aware of Neil no
9: okay
7: okay and and uh, Jim you've got uh, some additional information we might add to this about what we found on the internet Uh, Jim uh, would you uh, Jim Harris
1: Uh, yeah okay One imagines a focused co-pilot, a cockpit, rather. Pilot Larry Campbell was responsible for the safety of everyone on the flight, and this was just his second landing at the Bolivian city of La Paz. Co-pilot Ken Rose was a straightforward military man, no foolishness, especially when descending through a mountain valley in bad weather. Sitting behind both, Flight Engineer Mark Bird was a retired pilot fighter pilot in the U.S. Air Force. He joined Miami Eastern only a few months before. On January 1, 1985, the most empty Boeing 727 was headed from Ascension, Paraguay to Miami with stopovers in Bolivia and Ecuador. Landing in a pause was always difficult. Grand controllers there had, had no radar and what navigation equipment they did have was spotty, so they re- relied on a cockpit crew to track their own position. The last anyone heard from the jet was at 8.38 p.m. Eastern time. According to ground controllers, the flight was about 30 miles from the airport and cruised on track at roughly 20,000 feet. It was cleared to descend 18,000 feet when it plowed straight into a mountain. Mount Elamani, 21,122 foot, foot mass of rocks and glaciers rising from the eastern edge of Bolivia's Alto Plano region towers over La Paz. The Andean mountain is so textured by ridge lines, high peaks, and shadows that, viewed from the city, it seems to move and change shape throughout the day. Flight 980 hit nose first on the backside of Illimani, just below the summit. It probably cartwheeled forward, the wreckage bursting and splattering across a mountain like a dry snowball hitting a tree. Nearby villagers said it shook the whole valley. The airport's radio, radio registered only a single click. Jim Holder.
2: Thank you, Jim. It took a full day to locate the wreckage, and once the Bolivian Air Force saw it on the peak, it mobilized a team to get to the crash site. But a storm had dumped several feet of snow, and avalanches turned them back. The Bolivian team was soon followed by representatives of the U.S. Embassy in La Paz and those from the National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, and the Airline Pilots Association, Alpha, the two organizations responsible for investigating crashes by U.S. airlines, but none of them were acclimatized enough to do any climbing. The agencies asked to borrow a high-altitude helicopter from Peru, but Bolivia would not allow it inside the country. Sikorsky aircraft shipped an experimental high-altitude helicopter to Bolivia that could drop Leopard Leopard. I think his name is Bruce. I'm not sure. No, it's Bud. Bud, Bud Bud, yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, at the crash site, but the mechanics sent to reassemble it Was so altitude sick upon landing in La Paz That several days passed before they could do any work When they did get to flying it, bad weather at the summit Kept everybody in the topper. they couldn't land or so Two months after the crash in March 1985 A private expedition of Bolivian alpinists Commissioned by
0: Ray Valdez, an eastern flight attendant, Flight engineer, who was Jim, just to correct you, Ray was an Eastern pilot.
2: Uh, I thought he was. An Eastern
0: pilot who would have been on
2: board if he hadn't swapped ships, successfully navigated the treacherous mix of rock and ice. The small team encountered wreckage and luggage, but they couldn't locate the plane's back box. Stranger than that, no one found any bodies at the crash site or blood. Another private expedition went up in July of 1985, followed by the NTSB investigators in October, but neither was well, able to spend well, more than those. Go ahead, George. G- G-
0: yeah, Jim. Just to – you say there was a a pilot expedition that went up in July. Private, private. private. Oh, uh, private. I'm sorry, I misunderstood yeah. that. Yeah, okay. that's okay. Followed yeah, that that, N- that would have been that would have been Judith Kelly.
2: Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that, George, really do, honestly, because I'm having trouble reading it. But neither was able to spend more than a single day at the crash site. In all, at least five expeditions have climbed the mountain in search of the wreckage over the past 30 years. None of them found anybody's or flight recorders, nor could anybody establish what brought down the plane. Officially, it was designated a controlled flight in the terrain, which means it couldn't be blamed on a bird strike or an engine malfunction or a hijacker's. The NTSB ultimately filed its own report to supplement the Bolivian one, but it came to the same flat conclusion. The plane was destroyed because it flew into a mountain.
4: Uh,
2: and you know, just as a side, earlier in this report, they talked about counter, counter Brown. Uh, what were they call it, a stuffed airplane that shouldn't have been on there, counter-blind. Nobody's ever talked about that later on that I've heard. Does George, do you or Neil know
7: any more about that? I think George uh, would probably. Yeah. Well,
0: the the only contraband that was found at the crash site were uh, reptile skins that were illegal uh, to be right, flown. Yeah. You know, to, to I don't know if they were uh, alligators or crocodiles or snakes or whatever they were. Um, but you see. I think you 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 get to the heart of the issue uh Jim, in that there are so many mysteries and questions surrounding the crash that were never not only answered but never even looked into that uh-huh. um that that raises a lot of different specters about about the crash of course the, the largest one being. Why were why were there so many unanswered questions? Why were there so many uninvestigated aspects of the crash? You know, looking at what the, some of the other folks have read, it said that there they reported
2: and then the plane made a sudden turn to the right. Uh, was that necessary? I've never been down there, so I don't know. But if it, it's going into an area where they could continue descending and then made a sudden turn to the right, is that what
0: you've heard, George? Well, I I don't I don't know if it was sudden or not, but you, we could begin with the uh inferior navigation equipment on the aircraft, okay? The uh Omega, as we all know, was no tamed, not to be used during descent, okay? Yes mm-hmm. the um the VOR, the the DME portion of it, the distance measuring equipment was no tamed off the air, okay? So uh, the and also the La Paz VOR had never been uh, flight checked prior to the crash. Yeah, it was flight checked, but after the crash, and and that was after a a representative from the Phillips Corporation, which was the manufacturer of the VOR, was on the crash site. uh, Was on the VOR site the day following the crash. So, I mean, these are questions that should have been asked and answered. Uh, truthfully, but were never even asked. So, um, you know, if if you look at it from that perspective, that the crew, although they might, if they had deviated to the right, of course, which may, may very well have happened, that they were using equipment that they, number one, the Omega, which was told, the Eastern pilots are told not to use it during descent. Or they were using the La Paz VOR, which we don't know if it was working properly or not, had never been flight checked prior to the crash. So, I mean, these are just a couple or a few of the very, very, very important questions that were never answered.
7: Well, well, thank you, uh, George. And George and uh, Jim, uh, Margaret has the last part of uh, what we have about the uh, flight and uh, 980. So, uh, and and most of this has already been talked about, but Margaret, would you read this last part of it, please?
8: Uh, Sure, and to piggyback on what everyone was saying, as time passed, details did emerge that invited speculation among South American journalists, the families of the victims, and anyone else still following the story. Now, some of the speculation included uh, the following, like the flight crashed because of an equipment malfunction. No, the crew was new to the route and flying in bad weather. No, the Paraguayan mafia blew it up because the country's richest.
0: Could could I just stop you there for one moment? As Jim pointed out previously, uh, Larry Campbell had only landed one time prior in La Paz, and that was the day before with a Czech pilot in, in the co-pilot seat, all right? So this was his first actual landing in La Paz alone, uh-huh. okay? Uh-huh. So th- then the question would follow from that was, well, what what was this training that the Eastern pilots were given to fly in and yeah. out of South America? Yeah. And, and the answer to that question was it was basically useless, that the only one on the crew who had to do anything different from flying within the States was the captain and all that was required of him was to look at an approximate thirty minute video of the La Paz airport in an, you know, flying in and out of it. Yeah. So, I mean, if if we want to talk about another factor that was never investigated by the F, by the NTSB or more importantly, why the FAA allowed it was yep. the fact that there there was no no specific South American training. And if you yeah. want to go back to Braniff or you want to go back to Lufthansa or other airlines that flew in and out of La Paz, you would be very, very, very surprised to hear the amount of in-depth training that they were given, the entire mm-hmm. crew, not just the captain. Wow. Did this happen yeah. at night? I don't remember.
2: Did this happen at night or just in bad weather? Yeah, it, was no, nice. it, it
0: I believe it was at eight forty in the evening. Don't don't hold me to that exactly, Jim. Yeah. But let, let, let's think of it in this context, okay? January first in South America, the seasons are reversed, meaning that January first would have been one of the longest days of the year in South America.
9: Yeah.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me, that's my phone going off. <laughs> <laughs> Bad boy. <laughs> Bad boy. Yeah. These are. This yeah. is so interesting. And uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, th- th- just to finish up a couple of paragraphs, Margaret, and then uh, I think mm-hmm. we we have a little discussion that we can conduct at the end of this. So, Margaret, will you finish what you have? and correct sure at any time george <laughs> just jump right in there stacy
8: well that's what i was going to say to the uh to other hosts uh also there was uh you know rumored to be that eastern airlines was running drugs and uh, there was an attempted political assassination someone trying to take the flight down to get at the u.s ambassador to paraguay arthur davis And, uh, you know, so on and so on. Uh, Again, there were a lot of outlandish theories, uh, but some of them apparently did have a ring of truth to them. Um, So uh, the wife of the U.S. Ambassador to Paraguay, Miriam Davis, who had continued on without her husband, died in the crash. And then we have uh, stated that uh, 1986, a criminal indictment against 22 Eastern baggage handlers revealed that for three years the airline had indeed been used to delivering uh, weekly shipments of 300 pounds of cocaine from South America to Miami. Um, Do you have any comments on that? Anyone?
7: George, I think you wrote about that, didn't you?
0: Well, I did, and uh, the the figures that were cited were accurate, and – but – you know, it, it, it what it did was it, it just added, you know, a, a lot of a lot. Of, there, there was also an active duty. Uh, I believe he was a Marine sergeant on that flight, who was guarding the uh, ambassador's wife, uh, Marion Davis. And so, I mean, you know, all all of these things taken together uh, created a situation where there were a lot of a lot of unanswered questions. And as long as those questions remain or remain to this day unanswered, of course, it's going to speculate what if could have questions that, you know, I I think they're legitimate questions. So, um, you know, hopefully one day, actually, although it's been, you know, a number of years, quite a number of years, hopefully we will get some answers.
8: (sighs) Margaret? Okay. Yeah, I was just going to finish this out. Um, you know, definitely there is a lot of mystery to that, and, and of course, the theories were, are going to abound And until they find some of the uh, flight recorders, which, by the way, George, did they find any flight recorders, any bodies? Uh,
0: to the best of my knowledge, uh, there were never any. Neither of the flight, the flight data recorder or the cockpit voice recorder were ever uncovered that now But but then you see the, there's Another there's an, another item Surrounding that the day Following the crash there was a Bolivian mountain climber Who was sent by an at this Point unknown party up to The crash site so Did he find anything I don't know Wow mm.
4: oh,
8: That's interesting yes And so I'll just leave Uh topic here for a moment uh another question worth asking what sort of foolhardy seeker suddenly takes an interest in a 30 year old plane crash now that was a question that was thrown out on the internet so we're just throwing that in to see if anyone has a comment about that one i mean i, I don't really think
6: foolhardy. i think
0: stacy i think stacy would be the best person to answer that
6: go ahead Stacey. you know I- I don't really think foolhardy would be the the right way to describe uh what Dan and Isaac did um, you know because what they did was out of a place of of caring and wanting to find answers for the family members out there that just were kind of left in the dark, you know yeah well and yeah
2: George, I have a comment as I understand it, these glaciers wherever they continue to have a life of their own as they continue to move south, not just here, but all over the world, I guess. And they, it, it's likely or possibly that some of the wreckage will someday, you might be 30 years from now, uh, would be de- deposited at the, uh, toward the bottom part of the glaciers, of the mountains. They might be, to this day, they may they find some evidence. The cockpit voice recorder, I don't know if it would be Able to be read, even, but uh, they maybe they someday will have something else to add to the yeah. record.
0: Well, that that you know they they attribute the glaciers moving south to uh, global warming. I don't know if that's correct or not. Uh, mm. You know, but 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 the the thing is that I, I think that today the, that there's still a lot of room for a lot of answers that have never been delivered, and certainly. Um, you know, there are other items that can be corrected that were never done. And and why they were never done, that remains an open question. And as far as Dan and Isaac went, I can't say, and Peter Frick Wright, who was also, he was an author for Outside Magazine. He went on the first expedition with uh, Dan and Isaac. Uh, you know, they should be congratulated for what they did. They yeah. used, I
4: mean, yeah. they, att-
0: they attempted to do something that could have been very, very, very productive. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. they uh, said they'd never find the Titanic, but
2: they did about 80 years later. That's yeah. There right. you go.
5: yeah. Uh, can I ask a question of George, uh, Jen? Um, has there been any, like, if, hypothetically, if you contacted the NTSP now uh, asking if, you know, there's any more on it, how are they handling that? Are they kind of pushing it aside or? It or?
0: Well, the the fellow who was in charge of that investigation, I forget, I've forgotten his name. Gregory C. Uh, no, no, not Gregory Five. Gregory oh. was was the one who went up there with the oh, SDSP. Okay. Yeah, but he wasn't the person in charge of the crash. Uh, the fellow who was, and like I said, his name escapes me for the moment.
4: Yeah. He
0: passed away. Had uh, prostate cancer that that he died from. So today, uh, I haven't I haven't written to the NTSB. To be very honest, I, I was very frustrated because when I was an Eastern pilot and an Alpa representative, I had written numerous letters to the NTSB and to Eastern management and, and anyone else who would listen, requesting investigation into this. And for the most part, I never even received a reply. And it, um, it, it was very, very frustrating, and very like I say, it was very, very sad. i mean probably no one no one knows that better than you know, oh gosh, uh, i don't know i don't know it's uh, it, it it was tragic, it really was it's the only way I can
7: describe it,
5: yeah George well, um, the reason yes, I sir. ask is um we do you mind Neil or do you need to call
7: no, no, go run right oh, in
5: okay, right. um We had on the the radio show a couple of months ago, Eduardo Valenciana, who was a flight attendant, um, surviving flight attendant on board Western Airlines, DC-10, flight 2605 in 1979 that crashed in uh, Mexico City on October 31st.
0: Yeah, if my memory serves me correctly, didn't they land on a closed runway? Was that the problem? Yes, Yes. that's the one.
5: But what's interesting is there seems to be some cover-up there as well. And uh, I don't know whether you've read his book. Uh, George, it's worth reading, Um, especially if you like mysteries. (laughs) Uh, There is political involvement uh, between Mm. the U.S. um, signing, I think it was oil deals. I can't remember. I'll have to read it again. But it's quite fascinating. But the NTSC to this day will not talk about it.
0: Well, and I so
4: wouldn't.
0: I, I I wouldn't doubt that would be the case with Flight 980. But, you know, the personal aspects of this. I mean, Stacy's on the line, and gosh, if there's anybody who knows the personal aspects of it, it's yeah. it's Stacy. Yeah. Yeah.
9: Yeah. You know, I it's think a Terrible
6: thing. Answers. Thanks are great Mm -hmm. you know answers are great and all but ultimately i think for the families and for you know everyone that's kind of left still dealing with the consequences years later because you know even even compensation or you know finding out what really happened won't fix those consequences and so for us it's mostly you know accountability like what about those people left you know my mom especially my mom he has struggled so much because of this, and it has oh. just—it's been a ripple effect through our entire family. And I wonder how many other families out there are suffering too, you yeah. know. And that's yeah. for us—that's really what it comes down to. It's not really, you know, answers are great, but it's accountability because it didn't happen. Somebody was responsible for what happened, and it may not be just one person. It's probably more than one. Yeah
5: got
0: to be hard yeah i mean it's 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 disgraceful actually what what it
5: is
0: it is i agree yeah uh
7: stacy i i recently went down to south florida for a dedication of a memorial that uh was placed in miami springs uh, a beautiful location there and uh, it was spearheaded by a, a few uh, surviving passengers and also flight attendants uh, that uh, uh, wouldn't let it uh, go without putting a memorial for Flight East, Eastern Flight 401. And that took place December 29th, and a beautiful uh, memorial was placed there with the names of all of those that lost their lives including the crew members on that flight in the Everglades. And I'm sure you're aware of that one. But um, yeah. uh, it was very moving, and um, and it's there permanently. And I thought to myself, you know, when I when I did contact you to see if you had any interest in us doing that, I, I actually saw someone that had on your website, and you do have a website. Uh, I think you still have it. But uh, that's where I got a comment from one of the uh, people that asked uh, about the uh, flight 980 since it was January the 1st. And so that's when I decided that I would contact you to see if you would come on. And George, of course, always uh, obliging uh, for uh, uh, with all of his expertise. But uh, my thoughts turn to the fact that Uh, if there would be some way of putting a memorial or something like that in place of those people that lost their lives on that flight but because of uh, the terrain and all I guess it would be impossible but it would be nice to recognize those folks permanently like the 401 uh, folks that uh, lost their lives on that uh, that crash
0: Yeah Neil, can can I just say something here? I I think that would be a great idea however i uh, I would think that it would be more important before that even takes place that the remains of the people who are on yeah. that flight be brought yeah
7: back. yeah, yes, well. Uh, of course, the remains were found in the Everglades, and uh, there were at the dedication, there were uh, about, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the most moving parts of the hour program that uh, uh, preceded the dedication and uncovering of the memorial there uh, was the fact that uh, there was a two-year-old uh, baby that was on board, and they heard the cries of that baby, and the baby was uh, was rescued, and that baby was now uh, 50 years older uh, from uh, and she was in attendance and uh, she spoke it was uh, very moving uh, the whole service so it's good that people uh, especially those that are associated with the accident or the crash or the death of of, uh, so many people uh, participate in in establishing something like that but uh, my mind just comes back to the fact that there needs to be recognition, more recognition than what we do today on the radio show or what you can do on the websites and uh, the Facebook pages and things like that. So it's just just my yeah. thinking. And uh, um, uh, Stacy, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure you you, you get uh, remarks and comments from folks that that discover your Website? Would you like to give us your website for uh, those that uh, want to go on it? As a matter of fact, I put my announcements on your website occasionally.
6: It's uh, it's just the Facebook page, just E A L Flight 980. Um, and yeah. so, if, you know, if there's anyone that does want to to be a part of the group, there are membership questions that I'm okay. need to answer.
7: Good, very good. So it's e- it's uh, E A L. Did you say flight 980? Yes. Okay. Dot dot com. I guess. Uh, yeah. Okay. Any comments before we run out of time here for our show today? I've, it's been very very interesting, and and uh, I'm glad we we're able to uh, present this sh- this uh, broadcast uh, in tribute to those that did lose their lives and lives and uh, also for your dad especially your dad uh stacy and uh, uh, please come back and visit us when you can and george the invitation is always there for your expertise and your comments we we enjoy listening
1: to you well thank you neil
7: and uh, any other closing comments anyone wants to make
1: yeah yeah jim harris has a question Yeah. Why why were we flying to La Paz, Bolivia in the first place when it's called Eastern Airlines?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I believe Eastern purchased those routes from Braniff when they were on their uh, deathbed and they needed cash. And uh, that's how Eastern got those routes throughout South America. Okay. I did not know that.
7: Now, here's one other closing question I have. Uh, that airplane had to be specially rigged so that the uh, the mask won't uh, won't fall off uh, fall out of the overheads. Does anyone know how that was done, or what has to be well, reconfigured?
0: Uh, well, Neil, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, do the masks fall down at cabin altitude of 10,000 or 14,000 feet?
9: Fourteen thousand can I th-
7: ten, I think. Yeah, 10 yeah it no, I, thought, I thought that
0: was for the crew only I thought that the the passenger oxygen mass yeah. come down at fourteen thousand
7: yeah i okay. agree yeah. okay,
0: yeah so they Thanks. would not have
7: <laughs> yeah they yeah. they
0: would not have come down yeah
7: and uh that runway is over nine thousand feet long, and uh it does have an extension at both ends of it overruns and uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh uh, I guess it's uh, uh, it, it's surprising, George, that you brought up not surprising you brought it up because you would uh, have researched it. But the, the training that we got it was very minimum, very minimal. That we got. until,
0: if you recall, after months after the uh, 980 crash, Alpha insisted at the time that the South Americans that there be a South American school. And Eastern did in fact begin a schooling for South American pilots, but then when Lorenzo took over, that was one of the first things that he did away with was the South American flight training and without a uh. without a peep without a peep from the FAA.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. Wow.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, and Neil, George, if have, I could, I'm sorry. Go
5: ahead.
0: Sorry. I'm no, sorry. Go did ahead.
5: you have you talked with? Um, or know that Gregory Feath, you know, he's retired. That mm-hmm. he now has his own company, Air Crash Detectives. Yeah,
0: I've seen him on. It, I've seen him on TV occasionally, and uh,
5: yeah. You
0: no, know, but at the time, I contacted him uh, when when I was writing my first my book about this, about Eastern, and uh, mm-hmm. he was very friendly when I contacted him. Gave me his uh, office number, his cell number. And every time after that, when I called, he he never picked up. He never returned my calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd just like to add here, if anybody is interested, uh, there's a, uh, a plaque that's located mm-hmm. in the uh, mm-hmm. Fort Myers, Florida Memorial Garden Cemetery uh, for Larry Campbell. His two friends, uh, Paul and Sal. I don't remember we their last name. Put it put put that there for Larry. He was the captain
7: of yeah. the flight. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. I do have a caller that I, I'm i sorry I didn't call uh, your area code earlier, but uh, you were at the bottom of my screen here, and I just lifted you up, area code 470. Do you have a comment to make, and who are you? Where are you?
3: Well, this is Sandy Pearl calling from Griffin, Georgia. Hello, Sandy. Uh, I am calling from the human factor side. And the things that I have listened to that are the details technologically for what they can surmise of this accident. But mainly to send my heart to Stacy and to congratulate her with the will and the grace of God and her perseverance. And don't ever let anybody tell you you should be over a 30-year-old plane crash. Because mm-hmm. you, you family are the ones mm-hmm. that have had to go on through the generations and be the legacy of your father's life. And exactly. you going and bringing back a piece of the wreckage is what happened to me with my plane crash in mm-hmm. 1977, but just two years ago, where a piece of wreckage had been given to uh from a gentleman that had it made into a piece, a necklace for me myself, and I can tell you when I touched that, it was like vibrations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also going to the scene, <laughs> and where they buried the wreckage away mm-hmm. from the actual crash site, and I remember walking out on a field, and I just I could feel the ground moving, and it gave me a peace. Instead of saying it's so morbid and disgraceful, and when will you get over it? People don't comprehend that the rest of your life is trying to put together what you have lost and make sense of it so it's livable and acceptable so you can go on. And my dear, I embrace you with my heart. I congratulate you on your upcoming baby and the family that you've created and the legacies that you have to share because of what you have had to do yourself personally to find peace in the beginning for your life. Congratulations, Mm -hmm. my dear, and your father will never be forgotten. And I think going there gave you a part of him. Congratulations,
6: my dear, and God give you peace. Thank you, Sandy.
7: I do have another caller from area Code 214. I'd like to recognize now. 214, where are you? And what's your name?
9: Okay, uh, my name is Glenn Wilmoth, and uh, I live in Allen, Texas. And I've uh, ex-TWA uh, and uh, ended up retiring from Southwest. And uh, while I was at Southwest, I was, uh, well, bo- both of them, I was in uh, flight simulator maintenance. And Southwest had hired a number of uh, ex-brand People as uh, flight instructors and whatever. And I had a conversation with one of them about the uh, 980 crash. And he told me that uh, after Eastern acquired the route, he called Eastern Flight Ops to give them some critical safety information about the route that, uh, where they had the crash that he had flown many times uh the captain he talked to blew him off telling him that uh, they knew how to fly perfectly well and didn't need his help ah. mm-hmm. and, uh and I'm, I'm 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 retired now i'm uh 883 i've uh, been in the airline airline business since january of 63 and I've retired at uh, end of August in 2020.
7: Well, thank you for uh-huh. being with us today. In well, that comment, yeah,
0: yeah, Neil, mm-hmm. Neil, there's one thing I mm-hmm. could add to that, and that is that there's even more. Okay, that's all I'll say right now.
7: Yeah. Oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. We won't... No, no, I mean
0: specifically about uh, Braniff and Eastern. There's even more there. Oh, okay.
7: Well, not the type that we can do a show on, is
9: there?
0: No, no, it, it's uh, no. Okay. Uh, okay. The, the uh,
9: yeah, yeah, the Braniff guy uh, that I knew that was that was quite a few years ago, and I'm I'm sure he's passed away now. He he was quite a bit older than me.
7: Yeah. Well, you're probably talking about my age. Quite a bit older. Uh, but, uh, well, let's see. Uh, any other comments? Uh, and Sandy, it was so nice meeting you down in Miami, you and your friend.
3: Thank and, you, Al.
7: And you are always uplifting anytime you're on this radio show. You are.
3: Well, thank you, Neil, for what you do to keep aviation. In the eyes of all of us from so many dimensions and perspectives, it gives us that have retired, as you well know, a life in aviation. So we thank you for all that you do.
7: Yes, we do. Well, thank you. This show, for me, continues as an extension of my employment with Eastern Airlines, although I don't get paid for it, but I talk a lot about it. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, just about every day, and I think Jim Harris and Jim Holder and and uh, all the, the Eastern folks that uh, do come on this show uh, talk to us about. So uh, it's, it's a pleasure doing the radio show. Thanks so much. Well, I think it's about thank time you. for sign off. And uh, again, Stacy, I want to say thank you very much. And we'll be following your website, and come of back course. and say yep. hello to us anytime you want.
6: Alrighty, thank you so much, Neil. I appreciate you.
7: Thank you, and George, the same. You know how we feel about you. Well,
0: I want to thank Stacy for coming on. Very nice. Thank you, Stacy. Yeah. Of course,
6: George. Thank you.
5: (laughs) Blessings, Stacy.
7: Well, the next uh, part that you hear is going to be a little humor, and uh, and we sign off with this uh, little humor at the end of our show. So I'm going to turn it over to Captain Hop Harrigan to bring us in for a landing.
3: Feeling <laughs> well done, All clear. Okay,
8: this is Hop Harrigan coming in.
4: Don't leave me, I cry Don't take that airplane right But you locked me out of your mind And left me standing here behind Taking you away, leaving me lonely, silver wings, slowly fading out of sight.
7: so much thank
5: you
1: see ya Arthur H